be not afraid. Like I hear that so many times. Like I've just three indigenous women started their businesses and all of them had this insecurity, like just crunch it up and throw it out the window. Like stop being afraid. If anything, do not be afraid and take the chance. Hi, I'm Matt. And I am Anuj. And you're listening to the Just Good Business Podcast. It's a show about amplifying the voices of social enterprises, the humans behind them, and the journey they are on. Join us as we learn from Nova Scotia's social enterprises. Hearing what inspired them to take the unusual path for doing social good, creating prosperity beyond profit. Let's explore Nova Scotia's world of social entrepreneurship together. Who knows? You may be closer to running your own social enterprise than you think. We are so happy to have Nadine Bernard as our guest today. Nadine is a visionary Mi'kmaq entrepreneur currently based in Sydney. In 2019, Nadine founded Indigivisor, a consulting firm to promote economic reconciliation and inclusion. Within four years, Indigivisors has grown to a team of seven business advisors, all very strong indigenous women. It is already getting recognition for its exceptional leadership work across Atlantic Canada. Starting its engagement initially in the construction sector, Indigivisor has expanded into sectors as diverse as renewable energy, forestry, and mining. It supports its business partners in cultivating business culture that embrace diversity and sustainability as their core values, and also create pathways to open the doors of economic opportunity for indigenous businesses and communities. In this episode, we'll be learning with you as we chat with Nadine. So Nadine is a proud mother of three grown children and two grandchildren. Her work has a profound impact on indigenous communities as well as broader society. Her dedication to community and reconciliation is the basis of her work, and she seemingly with an abundance of energy works to build a better understanding of the diverse communities of Turtle Island in Canada. Nadine is also the current co-chair of Tribe Networks Board and is the past board chair of the Nova Scotia Advisory Council on the Status of Women, Feed Nova Scotia, and the Nova Scotia Police Review Board. And additionally, Indigivisor was recently a finalist for Small Business of the Year at the Halifax Business Awards. All right, let's dive right in. Nadine Bernard, a gigantic honor to be chatting today. So excited to be getting into all things Indigivisor. But uh, Nadine, educate us. Tell us about the Indigivisor origin story. So um, Indigivisor evolved uh, back in 20, like legally for with Joint Registry of Socks back in 2019. But it was a journey working within other in, you know, institutions and organizations, government, uh, not-for-profit, NGO, and just recognized there was a huge gap in when it came to true relationship building, you know, communication engagement work with our First Nation communities for projects, initiatives, recruitment and retention strategies, and creating 
um, in a safe and inclusive workspace for Indigenous employees, just really wanting to build a space that that truly is dedicated to reconciliation. And so the, the foundation of uh, Indigivisor is economic reconciliation. And economic reconciliation is creating that equity when it comes to um, wealth and having equitable opportunities, equitable access to resources, infrastructure, and opportunities within our territory, our, our unceded territory. So I felt like when I was within organizations, it was a struggle. And I always had to compromise my own internal value system, my own internal, you know, struggle as, a, as a, an Indigenous person, as a Mi'kmaq here, at, you know, in my own territory and a, and a rights holder. It wasn't about... Um, you know, the doing it the right way and how it should be done. When Indigivisor came to life, I said, I want to build something where we don't have to compromise anymore and that we could do it as, as first voice, as lived experience and knowing how would we want to be communicated? How would we like to be engaged and how do we want to participate? It was myself for about four years. And then, um, you know, had discovered that um, the need was really great once, you know, we started kind of becoming more visible. And I, you know, made the you know great decision of bringing on board my COO, Brooke Moore, who has been phenomenal in the scaling and, and the evolving of Indigivisor since then. Um, and we've now grown to seven. So we have seven full-time staff. We have two offices here in Dartmouth and one in Sydney. And, you know, my goal is to, to be national and be right across the country. We're affiliated with about a billion dollars worth of projects from here to Ontario. And um, we've only just begun. So we've scratched the surface and I'm, I'm ready to keep going. So across the country, soon to come for now, uh, all over Nova Scotia, all the way out to Ontario as well. Uh, beautiful Indigivisor story, but I'd love to hear your story, Nadine. What got you into the world of entrepreneurship? What got you into the world of social entrepreneurship? I guess it was kind of um, an inevitable start. My, my father had been involved uh, in business and economic development for over 25 years. So being his daughter and watching him and, and having that opportunity to see what economic reconciliation looked like, you know, talking about business and how it how indigenous business is in community, how we participate in the external world. And uh, my brother had been a young entrepreneur um, in his early 20s. And I was like, I'm not ready yet. I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know when the right time is, right? There's no such thing as the right time. So I just kind of brought it all together and just put every skill, experience, network, uh, contact and said, you know what, I got a full bucket of everything I need to go and I have the know-how and the the passion and the energy. So I just took a chance and I just said, you know what, I'm going all in and I'm going to hope for the best. And it was the best decision I ever made. Then it was called a side hustle, uh, but it became a full-time, if not more than a 24-hour, 365-day commitment. And it's been the best. Um, I work with great clients, great opportunities. Um, I, I was mostly in the construction sector. That's actually what we started in. And then I went multi-sector. I said, you know what, I'm going to change it up and I'm just going to open it to every sector because the one common thread that I had as a secret recipe was that I knew that every single sector needed one thing 
they needed a path onto reconciliation. And so I knew that I would learn how to, to engage in their sector and educate myself. But then I would hire really brilliant Indigenous women who are from those sectors. And so as a collective, we are the wisdom approach um, at business. That is so phenomenal. And I'm just thinking back to maybe I think it was last year or the year before, uh, new business of the year nominee. Uh, this year, uh, small business of the year nominee. Next year, I'm sure it'll be large business of the year nominee for all the uh, for all, all all the awards around around the Atlantic provinces. Um, but can you give us an idea now? You said you know you're up to two offices, seven staff. What does that look like from a like a size of a size of a business when it comes to like annual revenues? How how are you folks operating as a, as a social enterprise from a size perspective? We kind of manage about 17 different projects now uh, around the the eastern part of Canada. My forecast of of revenues for this year was going to be at about 500,000 and we we exceeded that. But they're a brilliant team. Like we've we've perfected our systems. We we always reflect on what we need to do better, to be better lessons learned. And I don't know if it's being an Indigenous woman or a woman period of just like constantly troubleshooting, constantly wanting to perfect um, systems and it it to be right. And and clients are always happy with when working with us and it gets reflected in them wanting to work with us again. Um, I I, I didn't invest in any marketing. We solely um, operated on a name basis. Like someone would recommend our work that say, oh, you want to work with Indigivize or you want to work with Nadine and her team. Like they, uh, you know, they're on time. They they know exactly what they're doing. They execute, they meet their deliverables. And um, and then we identify like what else that they don't, they don't know that they need. Um, And that's in an exercise we call the preliminary assessment. I'm a people person. I think getting in a room with, you know, our clients and getting to know them and building that relationship and kind of reading the room and how they're reacting to 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 certain, you know, descriptions or strategies that we offer. Sometimes it's their first time um, ever hearing it. So they're kind of confused or unsure if that's what they want. But then once we unpack it and I notice that in the space, I make sure that they come to a point where they understand what that is. Thank you, Nadine. If you were to uh, tell us a typical example or any example of your clients and what does economic reconciliation look like in reality? We work with a lot of architectural and in um, engineering firms, so um, like infrastructure projects, um, and then we work with a lot of private sector. So you you can think of any large business corporation here in um, in HRM, and probably nine times out of ten we work with them now because they're they're needing things right. They're needing employees, so that recruitment retention, that HR, that cultural and awareness and educational trainings. That professional development, the uh, communication and engagement strategies that are projects or initiatives that they want to take to community. Just um, we help them in their communications and then how to execute on bringing that to community. Economic reconciliation is creating a pathway to equitable opportunities and access for Indigenous people to uh, participate and be able to have that shared wealth when that was not possible for Indigenous people due to uh, a lot of systemic um, barriers, Uh, an example being the Indian Act. And so 
economic reconciliation can kind of translate to equity partnerships like you see with Everwind. Uh, Member 2, Buckingham and Bodlodek are equity partners on that project. Um, others could be employment um, opportunities, and you see that reflected through IBAs with our with what are Indigenous benefit agreements. And so it outlines like human resources, um, being able to procure Indigenous businesses, um, you know, utilizing Aboriginal set asides. And so it's us being able to to have that shared opportunity of of the wealth from the resources and the lands that originally were ours. Uh, one project that we work on within the Atlantic has a um, Indigenous procurement target of um, 23%, which equates to 69 million. So we have to, uh, along with uh, another co-lead, um, execute on how do we successfully transfer that 69 billion through um, procurement. You know, what we have heard and over the years realized that Indigenous approach to business and economics is fundamentally different. And I would love you to explain to us and our audience the whole idea of sustainability, the whole idea of seven generations uh, looking at making the decisions, how it tries to not be extractive and how it tries to be much more different. What kind of examples in your work uh, come across when you work with uh, these clients and shifting their approach to business. Is that something that you do? Yeah, we do. So Truth and Reconciliation had resulted in 94 calls to action, which were collective recommendations from Indigenous people from across the country and saying, this is what you need to do to be better, to do better, to be better when it comes to Indigenous people in this country. And Call to Action 92 is business and reconciliation. So it was educating yourself to understand the historical atrocities done to Indigenous people and how how the current world exists, not with relation and benefit for us, that impacts our, our treaty rights which impacts our sustainability of what those three those treaties actually encompass. And so here in in Mi'kma'ki, we have the peace and friendship treaties. And under those peace and friendship treaties, it's hunting and fishing and gathering, which comes down to our medicines, which comes down to food security, food sovereignty, and being able to utilize, you know, the resources around us. So like the trees and the, the plants. So the water, you know, being um, stewards of the water. Um, so when we talk with our clients, we make sure we give them that education and understanding as, as a preliminary requirement to understand the people before I take you to them. Like there's there's a foundation you need to understand to our people and myself before going in and saying what you want, right? Because your your want could hurt and hinder what we could leave in a healthy way for the next seven generations. So as, as a community member, as a, as a mother, as a grandmother, as a daughter, like I am part of that seven generation, whether it be in past, present or future. And so my responsibility and why we all as, as an indigenous female team is that we understand that 
that innate responsibility that we have. And that's reflected in the values of, of how we do business. And so when we're working with clients and them saying, and let's just say resource extraction, right? Well, let's talk about what that actually means and how do we educate our communities and how can you think about all systems and sectors have been built around not consulting with Indigenous people. And so we're we're playing catch up into how do we then um, adapt to what has been and what is, example, legislation, right? And then, you know, um, submitting their permits and getting approvals and, again, other systems that never worked with Indigenous people. And then how do we then work with them? And so it's, you know, being cognizant of, of what the impact is to, you know, um, clearing a road to access a certain way for, for delivery of the, the resource that you've now taken out of the ground to a site to do work. Let's look about the traditional land use of that area and how you're now going to impact our animals, our birds, our medicines, and all those pieces that are important to us, right? Because our language is tied so much to the natural environment. So it's not just one project. It's the cumulative effect of every activity and project that's happening in our territory that's kind of like making it really difficult for sustainability in in us so if something is then becoming extinct then that entity no longer exists in my language to be able to share with my grandchildren and that that really is it goes against my own traditional value system in being honest to my people in what I'm bringing because the the dollar bill isn't going to do what it needs to for language and cultural preservation and this is the whole ecosystem uh, approach that you just now mentioned. Amazing. Uh, so how would, uh, if you were to give us in a, a just good business, we often say it is not the destination, it's the journey uh, in, in social enterprise and how we uh, continue to really uh, innovate uh, in the process. How do you measure your success in five years time? How would you like this ecosystem to shift as a result of your very, very, you know, pointed effort of what you are trying to do as a as a very different advisory than any other advisory uh, service that exists in the business ecosystem. Anuj, I don't have patience for five years. I actually assess myself every year and biannually. If I were to think in five years, I would hope and how I would gauge success is that Indigenous people have historically been afterthoughts. I want us to be a, the beginning that you think of wanting to do something, you're putting something together, you're planning before you submit your permits, before you create your, your team. Think in Indigenous first. And how do we become involved, right? Like, and, and not think that this is the process that was in the, the environmental assessment and I have to do consultation now. Instead of ticking a checkbox that you've already done, we should engage and, and get to know the community before we think of doing a project. Like what? how do they see themselves wanting to be involved and how can we get to know the community? How can they be a part of this process, right? And I would love to hear a business is naturally doing what's right and thinking Indigenous first before us being an afterthought and calling me at the near end of a project to try to play catch up on something. And, it, and it's a lot of work. 
So as a mother and a grandmother, I would hope that in 25 years, I'm in when she's grown up and, and she's in a professional in the world that I don't have to worry about. Do they have um, indigenous inclusion policy? Do uh, d- does she see herself reflected within the workplace? What's the workplace culture like? All of these things. I'm, I'm hoping that's what it is. So, because I feel so pressured to have to escalate the process, we constantly every client, every project, every everything we move and do. We do an assessment. Have we moved the needle? Are we moving in the right direction? Are we taking two or six steps back? And if I'm taking two steps back, what can I do to change so that that doesn't happen the next time? And lesson learned, and we move forward. Beautiful. And you don't get pushback from your clients and your members on this? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I don't know if you can see the white hair. This is dying, okay? Yeah, daily. I have to think of protecting the spirit and the mental health and wellness of my team because this work is hard. We are up against discrimination, racism, colonialism, hatred, bias, everything possible. And we're having to revisit trauma and and not allow our our wounds to to heal um majority of us are residential school descendants um and so you know when we do our culture training our blanket exercise we're revisiting that trauma and you know it's we get emotional and we feel it it. we're in the moment it is really hard anuj there's times i've had to do nine blanket exercises in a month that's every third day in a month second day it's a lot, but I do what I need to, to heal myself and commit to my healing journey. I take care of my spirit. I, you know, I smudge myself before and after I seek out the wisdom of elders. Actually, right now I have one of our traditional healers with my team as part of our strategic planning session, because I need to protect their spirit and their mental health and wellness. And that's important to me. I am responsible for, for their well-being, And if I'm going to put them up uh, as, as frontline warriors in, in this battle against reconciliation, then I need to make sure that they're good too. And that's important to me. Because at the end of the day, it's not about being successful in business. It's successful in winning the good fight. And that's exactly why I'm in. You would not hear those words from any other advisory services in business. More power to you. Lots of love. Well, we'll make sure that we send a link to anybody who's listening to this podcast to some of those advisory services and particular to the blanket exercises. As a participant of one of those blanket exercises, I can say it's incredibly powerful stuff um, that you do, Nadine. And I just am flabbergasted. Glad I'm on mute because as I'm listening to this conversation and between between you saying you don't have you know patience for five years to uh, to 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 you saying that you've done nine or nine in a month um, of those blanket exercises, that's wild and commendable all all in one um i'm going to dive into the weeds and then i'm going to take a step step back from the weeds here if we can nadine um and just specifically with within the 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 culture work that you do and within the measurement that you do in order to see how you're moving the needle some of what i've noticed when working with culture and teams is sometimes it takes education to get to the point when teams can know enough to know that they don't know 
So sometimes a step back as far as how people feel about their understanding of uh, creating safe cultures is actually a step forward because they had a false representation of thinking that they knew more than they did. And then all of a sudden they sit through a blanket exercise and then they say, there's so much I didn't know. And they might actually grade themselves as less educated than they thought that they were, which by, you know, if you're looking at metrics and that's, a, it's a weird thing to do. So have you run into that? How do you, how do you gauge moving the needle? I'm just curious to know how you folks operate in that, in that sphere. We still need KPIs, right? Like, I think KPIs are important, but like seeing, seeing a client naturally craft and share a very heartfelt, sincere land acknowledgement and the opening of their event and being proud of seeing like that, that's important to them. That is, that is something they have told their staff, they've told their organization that this is important to us. I, I had another uh, friend of mine who works for a, a, a really large um, organization in uh, in New Brunswick, and she was saying how she utilizes it, and it's in her um, signature, and that's her commitment to reconciliation, making sure to make sure the conversation continuously goes. And I'm reading books, or I've saw a podcast, or I went to. Uh, a, a book signing or I've watched this movie and I understand these pieces like that they're taking initiatives and that that initiative whether it be personal or professional is part of those things that I gauge as as, as moving the needle because now they're wanting to be informed but they're also educating themselves to the factual history of indigenous people instead of the streamlined, um, you know, colonial version of Canada and indigenous people. Mm, the marrying of quantifiable and qualifiable in that case is, is so important too. When you can recognize the intentionality behind something like a land acknowledgement is not just being a box check as part of what an agenda item is on, a, on, on, on an event um, to actually feel that authentic and intentional approach from leadership. I, I, I can totally see how that would, that would be very much gauged as moving the needle on that front. As somebody who's worked now in the entrepreneurial sphere for over four years what challenges would you care to share uh, with our audience to say, hey, these are challenges that we've that we faced that we overcame? It could be it could be, you know, as minute as as as, you know, the business set up to having multiple offices to uh, to taking on too many clients to whatever that might look like. If, if you were to look back at your last four years, challenges that you feel you've been able to uh, to face and overcome. Human resources, like when I, I began, I was a sole sole proprietor and then moved into being an incorporated business and um, not really having the uh, mentors and, and availability of long-term sustainable businesses that exist outside our community because I solely exist external from my community, um, like both my offices. And so being in this realm, I don't have a lot to turn to, so it's uh, it's constant um, learn as I go. So HR would be one, and identifying really strong, um, committed, um, adaptable Indigenous women, because historically and unfortunately, you know, um, women in our communities aren't told to be leaders and that that they have the capabilities to be at that level so that in, I, I go the resistance is the insecurity 
the um, I've never done that before. So I, I don't think I can, like, I believe in transferable skills. I firmly believe in mentorship and guidance. And as indigenous people, that's how we've always always existed you teach someone as you go like as you're as you're excelling you're actually preparing yourself to not be in that so that the next generation becomes and learns and becomes the master you know like the apprentice into a master level and that they learn that to pass to the next so we are based on a matriarchal business model and so continuously we're I'm playing the mentor and everybody on the team is is being a mentor in building the capacities and opportunities and their strengths and skill sets to teach someone else on your team and clients right like the demand is so high so when do I say no and who do I say no to like they come with such various spectrum asks um, as little as just uh, a, a lunch and learn to a, a, a full organizational change, right? And help them in their strategic planning um, executions and planning. And it's a lot, right? Like I said, we're up to like 17 clients right now uh, and projects. So it's, it's a lot. Um, but I have an excellent project manager and using, utilizing systems. Um, we're not government funded. So that's the other challenge. Government funding, like funding, uh, you know, equity and and um, investment into a business. Like, there's so many challenges, right, that come with that. And and how do you help build trust with our communities? Not being seen as a sellout or someone who is not doing what's best for our people. That is something that I am more cognizant of anything else because I never wanted to be the person who is bringing or causing harm. There is so much there, so much more to dig into. And probably it's a good problem to solve. And you know, how many businesses can say the demand is too high? Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> One area that you seem to be working on is, is inclusiveness of indigenous values and people in the business ecosystem. And uh, on the other layer, you are actually uh, wanting to imbibe uh, indigenous business practices in the business ecosystem. And those are, are two different layers of influence you are hoping to create. Tell me if, if my articulation is accurate and, and give us a, a really, you know, what, what are the, the policy implications uh, from economic reconciliation point of view of where you can actually do things faster, better, if those policy uh, you know, enabling factors were there uh, to to support you. What would be your policy recommendations in those two layers? For policy, I think procurement would be one. Having the flexibility and the innovative approaches to creating employment opportunities for Indigenous people, like, you know, bringing them into their business. Can you make some kind of partnership agreement with the community so that they can stay in community? Because being surrounded by your language and your culture and your community where it's safe, instead of forcing them to have to be within your organization. So, you know, can you think outside the box, right? And are you willing to be creative, which might affect your bottom line, because now you're going to have to, you know, rent additional office space in a um, in a First Nation community, right? Like, what are what are the benefits of doing something like that instead of thinking about money all the time and that bottom line, right? And 
I, you know, I don't want to scare off the business community thinking that that's what I'm going to do, but just, I, I always think of the big picture and the, and the, and the end game. Like I always think of that. What's the, what's the, the, the payoff of that, of doing this for the end game, then create a, um, a system, uh, an ecosystem of people who are interested in wanting to work for you and are coming to you instead of me having to go try to find them for you. Right. So it's um, it, it's a win win in, in my perspective. Fantastic. Any um, recommendations or suggestions for the legislatures at the province level or at the federal level that your work has thrown up? I was very impressed with the federal announcement back in 2021 of the Indigenous procurement policy and bringing Indigenous people into the realms and the shared um, you know, equity of, of, of infrastructure. I thought of that about a year and a half ago, and I uh, I had hired an intern to do research on just that. If we don't have a provincial legislation for our procurement policy here in this province, why don't we have one? Like, and how do we have one? And where can we do like a, a structured research area, like a pilot area? So that's what I ended up doing. So I hired an intern from Dal, third year supply chain management student of Inu descent. And so... I want to be able to collect the information factually and with lots of um, background and history in partnership with an educational institution like Dalhousie to be able to change, change and challenge legislation. So that's my goal, which would make things easier for me because then businesses now have to abide by something that exists within that government realm to then, and you know, everything that comes at a, at a provincial level trickles down to that municipal, right? So it's like kill two birds at one stone. Beautiful. At Just Good Business, we are just wanting to really look at the ecosystem and how can we understand, amplify, and support the whole social enterprise ecosystem. So hopefully, we would love to remain engaged with you and really understand how you are navigating these complex spaces. Uh, in the corridors of the policy, in the corridors of these large businesses or small businesses. Amazing. Thank you for that uh, very thoughtful response. Systems change is a complex thing. And you can tell by when, you know, when I ask, ask you, Nadine, have you faced any challenges? <laughs> You're like, let me take on my list. Um, and, and a lot of those are, are related to the fact that, you know, doing some of the most important work that you possibly can that isn't valued within the system systems that we work within that are running, you know, one might argue the exact way they were intended to run. Um, and that's why they need to change. So I just so appreciate that 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 policy approach. Um, and also I appreciate people like yourself and Anuj who are able to fight that fight because that's a fight that I have, <laughs> I have very little expertise in. Nadine, I would ask you as a leader, uh, somebody that I admire very much that that I know, you know, multiple people within our, our business and social entrepreneurial community in Atlantic Canada across the country admire very much. What advice do you have for somebody who might be listening to this podcast and thinking about starting a social impact organization, a social a social entrepreneur, um, uh, entrepreneurial journey um, as far as steps that they can take to ensure that they're setting themselves up uh, for success, whether that means, you know, plan to face a bunch of challenges or whether that means, hey, here's something I learned by doing it the wrong way. You should do it this way. What advice might you have for somebody looking to head down the social entrepreneurial path? Create your support network first, your people, people who are going to give you that wisdom, that that 
um, unconditional support, that um, that financial guidance, that business guidance. Like I have so many mentors. And so I made sure I listen to what they're telling me in their story, um, the lessons that they've learned and pay attention and have a plan, right? Like start seeking out what, what's available and, and who has existed before you, right? Like wisdom is probably one of the best things that people forget to utilize. Um, and because that's part of a sacred teaching uh, as an indigenous person, I, I make sure I, my checklist says, you know, be truthful of this, if this is what I want, right. And be honest in how much I know and how I can do it and be respectful in the processes and the opinions and of others and, and practicing courage, like just saying, yes, don't wait for the right time. I wish I was younger doing this instead of being older when I'm tired at nine o'clock and I forget um, things so much more easier and having to read things three times um, and be not afraid. Like I hear that so many times, like I've just three indigenous women started their businesses and all of them had this insecurity, like, like just crunch it up and throw it out the window. Like stop being afraid. If anything, do not be afraid and take the chance. Cause once you're in, it's like jumping in a deep end. You're going to sink or drown, but man, like your body's made to survive right in your mind and indigenous people have been surviving for millenniums. Right. So it's natural for us to be able to do. So that would be my advice. Mm. So, so, so to recap, make sure that you're trusting yourself, your courage, your um, expertise, while also making sure that you're surrounded by some people for those moments when you have that self-doubt that are able to, to kind of help, help you push through it and make sure you have that network around you um, to support. Well, as somebody who I'm not going to uh, you know, delve into the uh, the age uh, uh, comment too too much here. But as somebody who is in his early mid thirties, um, uh, I will happily say that I am very often exhausted by nine o'clock. And last night uh, we got to see each other at a at an event in Halifax that was way past my <laughs> bedtime. I'll tell you. So so I don't know if age has anything to do with that one, but the rest of it I'm totally on board with. Be not afraid. Wow, that's the mantra. For the social entrepreneurs. It has been a pleasure, Nadine, uh, to talk to you. Um, I believe um, us, me and Matt, and our audience is taking a lot from this one, um, especially a very different slice on how we look at businesses in our little beautiful province of Nova Scotia, how it needs to be aware uh, of the historical facts of the indigenous way of looking at businesses and economics, of economic reconciliation. And it is not just fixing the physics, it is a different starting point. And how do we really you know, look at that? So amazing, amazing, amazing thoughts. Hopefully this will be first of many conversations with you. Thank you, Nadeen, appreciate you. And Thank you. lovely, lovely talking to you. Thank you. Thanks Nadine. Nadine's work and the challenges she's faced working within a system that is fundamentally built to disadvantage her at every turn is really inspiring. As a settler learning from this conversation, I recognize the importance of moving reconciliation to reconciliation. action. As John Buen says, if I'm not working to dismantle a system that advantages me, I am complicit. 
So one important step that we can all take is through education. And if you or your organization are interested in booking Nadine for what I promise will be a powerful blanket exercise, she can be reached at indigivisor.ca. It indeed was noteworthy how Indigivisor has identified this important niche to play a critical role for achieving economic reconciliation for and with indigenous communities. It perhaps is not surprising that their primary challenge is to keep up with the demand. What a good problem to solve. Like all our other previous guests, Nadine leads yet another disruptive business enterprise, adding to the ever-growing social enterprise ecosystem of Nova Scotia. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to tune in for more. I'm Matt. And I'm Anuj. And this has been Just Good Business Podcast. <laughs>